Yeah. So it's um yeah it's been some time. Um, we yeah I think we're we're more or less over the storytelling stage of uh, Pen, but of course I'm pretty sure that there will be you know among our discussions opportunities for you to back into that and so on. So. Uh, one thing I would start yeah. with is to avoid misunderstanding. I would like to explain the German exile program just briefly or yes. in more detail than I did before. Yes, of course, yes. Um, German Pen uh, received the offer from the first federal uh, state secretary for culture. Germany is... is uh, Culture is is divided by states, but for the first time we got one uh, state secretary for culture, and he offered Penn the uh, dealing with and managing a an exile program for six writers. Uh, in in terms of uh, rent. Uh, insurance, uh, help from from uh, Penn in terms of uh, bureau- bureaucracy and so on and so forth, and individual Penn members would help them wherever they were located to get through the uh, whatever process they needed. Um, so this was not done. Uh, this did not finance. Um, programs that individual cities started uh, because they liked the idea of uh, pen and they associated themselves in terms of asking for help if they needed um, somebody to fill in a residency or something like this. And the, But the program itself was, uh, the pen program itself was six uh, scholarships and in the beginning, six cities. Today, it's in four, I think. Um, totally financed uh, by the German government. Um, the other um, scholarships that had been organized, first of all, by the uh, Parliament of Writers, was financed through um, federal uh, European money. Uh, those were cities within Europe. German Pen had only, of course, uh, uh, scholarships for European cities. The uh, Parliament of Writers had Europe, uh, scholarships in European cities. And the, today, the ICORN, the uh, International City of Refuge Network, which is located in Stavanger, uh, is paid in terms of management by the Norwegian government, uh, by the, uh, yes, by the Norwegian government, whereas the cities throughout the world that offer a scholarship and invite people to come in um, pay for that service themselves. The difference between the European countries and most other countries in the world is that uh, Canada, uh, the United States, um, some Scandinavian countries have the possibility of inviting somebody or, to t- or taking somebody under distress in and um, offering them uh, help in the beginning, financing and so on and so forth, and helping them with finding a job. Uh, this is impossible in the European context because we cannot get anybody in unless they have a scholarship. And it is sure that they are paid for and for as long as they stay. Um, the idea behind it was that they didn't want to invite persecuted writers from all over the world and have them stay in the country under the exile provisions. Uh, In many, many ways, we had to break through that because many of our writers and uh, artists could not go back home. They could, we could not find other 
scholarships for them. So they had to apply for asylum. And that then left them into um, into all the problems that asylum application and asylum uh, itself uh, then brings. Because in the end, then they would not have enough money to uh, um, to to start a profession as a writer, because you, when you write something, you uh, get paid a lot later. And particularly if you are a foreign writer in another country, writing a different language, having to find a publisher outside of that country, you will be waiting for your money for a long, long time, if there is any money at all in publishing. So uh, we had to go the hard way and we have um, found uh, places of asylum for quite a number of our charges and they have happily or halfway happily settled in the country of their refuge which is always a problem this this is why the program with um, exile the exile program in, in German pen and in ICORN are so valuable because they offer security and financial security and also security from the uh, secret services of the perpetrator countries um, for a number of years. In Scandinavia, uh, somebody who is inviting invited to uh, stay there will get an office will get a place to live. And once their scholarship is over, they still have their office together with other exiles. And uh, the office is paid for by the government. All these differences had to be accommodated within what in the beginning started as a, an international pen exile network. Um, we, from the beginning, were sure that we wouldn't be able to uh, form it into a, a committee, but even the network is kind of has diluted because it's the Europeans with their uh, programs and ICON that now form the exile uh, network of international pen. That I thought had to be cleared because I think you had the idea that uh, the um, German cities were aligned with Penn, or they were only partners of Penn, not aligned, not really uh, associated with Penn. Okay, yeah. So I, I will go back and update the uh, text uh, for our previous uh, podcast because you're right. That's exactly what I had written. Um, and even though the German cities, as you say, in, I guess in some way partic participated in the program, um, they're not responsible for the, the funding. And so my right. text shall reflect this. Thank yes. you, though. Yeah. OK. All right. Uh, yeah. As always, actually, we've got so many things to talk about, uh, Karin. And um, in you know, truth, we told we could probably talk about anything and everything. Um, but it's also it's always good to, you know, sort of uh, zoom in. Um, on areas of sort of particular interest for for you and as well for myself. Um, I mean, language and translation, I believe this is something that you mentioned last time that, uh, you know, we um, you know, we could you know, jump into. Um, and uh, it's an interesting, you know, sort of couple of topics. I've also got some uh, experience with this because, um, you know, I also... Uh, translate nowhere near the level that you do um, but I, I, I do do some translations um, I have done from you know Armenian to English from Italian and uh, from German too um, but I mean what particular areas of translation uh, sort of interest you the most because I've done work or um, academic style translations but I mean you've You've also done these, but uh, you've also ventured into sort of literary translations, haven't you? Yes. Um, we have to keep in mind that there would not be world literature if there were not translation, because uh, something written in Armenian will not be understood anywhere 
except in Armenia. Uh, something written in German will be only understood by those within the German-speaking countries and those among those who learn the language very well. Because to read a translation of a literary work means you will be introduced into the front of language, which is the plot line, and the the ideas and the culture behind the language. Let me give you an example. When um, in England you speak of a rose, what do you see in your mind? You see a rose is a rose is a rose. The independence of beauty, the independence, the uh, stature of uh, anything that is alive. In German literature, um, yes, we have some images of the proud rose. Don't be uh, like the proud rose. Be like uh, a small flower, uh, humble. And these are these are things that we learn as children. But in terms of literature or in terms of poetry, we have sah ein Knab ein Röslein stehen. And Röslein is a small rose. It's a, it's not a strong, uh, courageous, beautiful uh, concept. It's it's a small. It's like the small, innocent, uh, tortured child. It's basically um, a song about the rose being raped. The Röslein, the small rose, being raped by a young. Uh, fellow who is simply breaking it. Um, so there is a different association with every word that we speak in every language. And in terms of literature, it's very, very difficult to translate because you basically basically not only have to know the other language, you have to know your own language intricately. You have to know every uh, background, every association. And you have to know the same thing in the in the language that you are translating out of. And that's the difficulty. And this is why um, works of art are being translated uh, basically every every 10 or 20 years anew because the time and the outlook toward the literature and toward the language has changed. And this to me is is a um, task that uh, I admire literary translators, good literary translators for. Uh, they have to be writers themselves. They have to uh, have the imagination of using their own language as freely as the uh, writer of a novel or of a poem uh, had with his or her own language. Um, I've translated uh, quite a few poems from English and sometimes I even dare to do it from from uh, French and from Spanish which I learned on a su superficial level and I always felt I didn't understand the language I understood the text, but I didn't understand the language and the culture behind it because I didn't know the associations. So I stayed away from it after a while uh, rigorously and went back into dealing with English and German. Um, in terms of English, um, there are very few poems I translated into English. They had to be... Um, Easy, as I would say, they had to be um, not superficial, but they had to be on one lev level without uh, asking too much of the reader in terms of association uh, of culture and of knowledge of what was being talked about. It. These were mostly translations for friends who had uh, written poetry about emotions their life, uh, the ideas of life, and so on and so forth. So in terms of translation, uh, I'm very interested, and I 
as I said, I, I'm always afraid of picking up a book that was originally written in English and uh, picking up a translation and not having read the, the original. So I'm, I'm still trying to read the original first. Yeah, I mean, that's a, a particular um, tale, as it were. I mean, there are there are some experiences that I've also had um, in this sense. But I mean, you mentioned so many things. You, know, you the way you speak sometimes it almost um, reminds me of Agatha Christie because. You know, if you look at, <laughs> sorry, no, I, I, I hope you take that as that's, a compliment that it was intended. A yeah, which I um, don't deserve, but yes. No, I, but I say it because I mean, you speak for two minutes, for example, like you did there, and yet you know, you know ten different things come into my mind. And when when I read an Agatha Christie book, which was inspired by my mum, you know, Agatha Christie's books were about two hundred and twenty pages long. And yet you come away from that thinking I've read 500 pages because of the, the number of thoughts and ideas that she was able to put into those you know, few sentences, essentially. Um, and I really think that's a skill that is lost nowadays. I certainly don't have it. Um, she whenever, has, you know. she was a good writer. Uh, she was an excellent writer. We have today excellent writers, but they're not necessarily the ones that become bestsellers. Mm. And that's our problem. This is why I never look through the bestseller lists to read. I go by friends who say, oh, you have to read this. Or I read five pages uh, in or excerpts from a book. And I think mm, that could be something that really, really um, interests me. And since I read a lot of English uh, books, uh factual as well as fictional um and i got away from a lot of german fiction i now found one or two writers i really admire because they write the way that people should write i think um they don't write formalistically they write about life and they love to write you can tell from the way they're writing the way the ease with 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 which they write um how well they feel what they write and how therefore how well the language is for what they are writing and um so i'm i'm i, I don't give up on writers yeah, I mean, I mean, just to come to one of the things that well, I've got so many, but two or three things, if I could throw you, but we'll do them one at a time. Um, um, you said writers make the best translators. I think it was um, Stephen King um, who also said, I'm completely paraphrasing because I can't uh, say what he said verbatim, but uh, he said to, to, to be able to write a book, um, you need to have read and appreciated the work of others. Yes. Um, yeah. That's that's. Would that also be your take on things? Yes, absolutely. I talked to uh, somebody today whose eleven-year-old child wants to write. She wants to become an author. And the only thing I could think of was read, read, read whatever you get in your hands, and read carefully, and make your choices. She's she's in the writing. Uh, program in school, which is lovely. I never heard of that during my generation. Um, to read is to learn to write, because to read means you get a sense of language in terms of sound, in terms of uh, rhythm, in terms of content matter. And as a child, even you find that's a book that is written with honesty, that is a book that is really using the language that is precise and is not uh, common uh, commonplace or or rhetoric. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, in your words, something else comes to mind. Um, there, there's a, a professor um, and the the um, the subject 
um, that he is a professor in um, eludes me at the moment uh, because it's not one of those common um, titles. I, I can almost imagine it. But anyway, um, he he said that he and he's an American, but he got um, he went to University of Oxford because he wanted to read his subject. Um, and for him, this was particularly important. And that's one of the reasons why he chose uh, a, a British university was because he could still read the subject. Yes. And for him, this distinguished the way that modern universities were going in the US because he believes um, that by losing this capacity of associating learning and knowledge with reading, we fall victim to um, being force-fed information and misinformation uh, through the internet. Okay, that uh, was not a problem at my time because we have to read <laughs> uh, 2,000 pages per week at oh, least. Yeah. And um, I was very happy that I started fast reading when I was very young. And I got all kinds of methods to go through a book a little faster than the others because um, there are some tricks. And, uh, of course, m most everybody knows them. So you read only left pages and then you know what, what kind of what was on the right hand side of the page. Another way of having uh, your reading uh, time is to only read the beginnings of paragraphs or the ha last half of paragraphs you can choose. And you also get a lot of sense of what is in term, what is in, in the book in terms of content, in terms of style, in terms of, <coughs> excuse me, language. So um, I was very, very efficient with reading, but I, I read constantly. Yeah. Uh, and that was an American <laughs> university. I didn't, read constantly at a German university at at German universities I always felt um, if you could second guess or if you could bluff your way through you didn't need to read the original you read a couple of articles about the original and you could get away with that and in the American system that I was used to you had to read you had to read the primary literature you had to um, find the secondary literature to get another uh, level of understanding uh, for what you just read. And it was constant reading. So uh, in terms of, of um, I always associated the English term. I read law in uh, at the university, um, which is in America. I took law. Not, they don't use the word to read. But uh, the reading to me was always uh, an Anglo-American phenomenon and not necessarily a German one. Yeah, I mean, the, the this particular uh, individual um, did mention that, you know, universities had changed somewhat in the way that they um, you know, produced, as it were, graduates nowadays, and he um, was very critical of the decline of um, standards in, in the US. His his doctorate apparently was in patristics. Sorry, that was the the, the subject, and that's why I was um, I couldn't quite remember it. What what is what are you talking about? Pat the, per, the person that I said who went to Oxford. Yes, because, and yeah, what was yeah. the subject? Patristics. Which is uh, Can you explain yeah, that? I've never heard of it. Yeah, I hadn't either. So it's the study of um, ancient languages, um, and also I believe um, it requires a certain amount of uh, mathematical and scientific knowledge. So it required a lot of reading. Yes. Um, yeah. So it's um, yeah, it was a challenging uh, subject. He said. Um, and but for this reason, he's very knowledgeable in a lot of areas, and that's why I tend to to listen to some of his uh, podcasts when when I have the opportunity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, he, um, he, there is a lot of research in different fields involved in his uh, kind of study, um, which of course, if that is with uh, done without reading and just with uh, secondary uh, bits of information from others. Uh, you can't you can't really get into 
anything in depth or even in the breadth of uh, of a field if you don't read. Mm. I agree. Yeah. I mean, do, do you feel that there is, because I have a complaint with, with, not necessarily, it's unfair to say it's a complaint, because people should do what they feel they want to do. People shouldn't be forced. I mean, this is the world that we've created or we've tried to create. Um, uh, you know, everybody has the freedom of choice and so on. But I mean, so many people don't want to read. They don't have the time. Uh, they don't have the patience. They, they'd rather do some other kind of more entertaining um, activity or even uh, lack of activity if that's tele watching television and so on. But, I mean, do you not bemoan the lack of reading nowadays by, you know, sort of younger generations? Uh, it varies. It varies. It varied at my time. It varied a generation later and it's varying now. Um, there are kids who read a lot. Uh, there were kids who read a lot in my time. Um, there weren't that many kids who read a lot or not as much as, or not even half as much as I did. And my brothers didn't read either. And to this point, they don't read. Except Fachliteratur, that which they need to read for their jobs. And uh, which means it's a very, very um, straight, narrow tract of reading. I don't think people read less now. First of all, they also read um, when they read their handies, their, their mobiles. Um, they can read very fast what's in there. They can pick it up very quickly. Um, and it may just be a phase of 10, 15 years of mobile uh, contact continuously. It will vary when they get out into, into the world and need to find different aspects of what they thought they knew. So it's a matter of, are they curious enough? Are they... Um, energetic enough? Do they spend enough of their own time for learning, for wanting to know, for needing to know, for trying to get into topics? And I think there I, there could be some help from the school system again. Uh, if you have to do research in depth on a little bit, on, on a little question. If you have to do your own research, you learn to read. You learn to find things that will give you the information. If you only kind of with a big brush go through um, a subject or a topic or a, a whole question, yeah, you can do that with, with uh, Google or with uh, Wikipedia or whatever. But you don't get you don't get the real thing. You don't even get the real questions that you should be asking. Because before you learn, you have to know the questions, or you have to learn to find the questions. Because the questions are what remains. Not anything is final in terms of interpretation, in terms of knowledge. So it's the questions that are important and the curiosity. Yes, yeah, so, so much of what you say there um, has, has, has such great depth. I mean, um, yet to learn the questions, though, requires training, doesn't it? I mean, if you give somebody access to uh, the, the World Wide Web, which is this huge electronic library, um, and ask them to pursue a certain line, it's very, you, you would see two very different outcomes if one were uh, to do it just you know as a hobby um, who had no specific discipline um, and if the other had been trained in academia uh, to pursue certain lines of research you know as you indicated um, yeah it, it's hard to learn how to ask yourselves questions if you don't have a certain kind of discipline uh, you know to, to pursue a specific line to reach a certain goal um, how I mean, many questions hmm. does your son ask every day Oh he my knows the questions. God. He knows the questions. <laughs> we all knew the questions. Mm. 
new. We have been trained to forget the questions and deal with the product, not with the questions. Yeah. That's what I meant. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We, 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 I think there was a study in France which, um, you know, sort of followed the intelligence levels of a certain group of kids. Um, and, you know, the, as, the, yeah, as the kids went through the educational system, uh, the percentage of uh, geniuses within the group diminished. You know quite starkly at every age level so um and this isn't only limited to france of course it's everywhere the educational system isn't built to um service the individual intelligence of uh children it's built there to produce a specific kind of resource to service an economy uh, and this is very unfortunate it has a, a double effect because it's not just the school that's failing. Um, the school is failing not just the kids, they're failing the parents because the parents have given up the responsibility for teaching children to the schools. And the schools have not reconnected with the parents saying, you know, look, this is how we can together bring the children up to par. And there's, there's a lack of contact and a lack of consequence. You know, if you give up education to schools only um, and don't in, get involved yourself, um, the life of the children is hacked in two. One is uh, emotional and one is learning. And emotional is at home and learning is, is someplace else. And is connected with work. So I, I have a very strange feeling that um, where the parents are interested in what the children do or learn and are willing to learn alongside, which now at the pandemia um, is forcing them to, basically, if they allow uh, themselves to be curious and helpful as well. Um, the, the, it's the common and community teaching and understanding that is involved. We have drifted apart and we have drifted apart in the families as well. And many, many uh, parents don't think they can teach their children what the schools can teach them. It's not true. Okay, I fought my father because he wanted to do, do math with me, because but he had a different way of approaching math, and uh, it I was in tears every time because I could do it myself. Um, that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, the support, the support of parents uh, when a child or when a young student has an interest to go to the bookstore yourself pick up books that may fit into that program or that you want to read to, underst to understand your children. This is the disconnection I'm talking about. Mm. Yeah, okay, a genuine the, interest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, as you are aware, I'm sure um, there is uh, with the, with, uh, when you mentioned the disconnect that is there. I mean, the disconnect exists for any number of reasons. I'm not going to make any justification. There is also a, you know, an element of disconnection between you know me and my children. I mean, one lives in another country um, and my boy here, um, obviously, you know, we have uh, timetables at the moment. And it's only an excuse. Um, you, it's it's correct. I mean, I have to reflect upon uh, myself. I, I take some interest. I should take more. Um, we converse. Uh, we should converse more. Um, and you know, I ask questions. I can ask more. Um, uh, what yeah. I what I would caution though is don't force yourself upon the child, because the child has to grow too. Mm. To grow independently, even independent of your thinking and of what you know. Sure. That's not what I meant. I meant the support, the, that the support system 
is there if needed. And the support system has an eye on what uh, the young person is doing, what they uh, learn, how they learn, and that you can learn that too. Uh, not to leave it up to the uh, to the networks or to to uh, Google or or mm. Wikipedia or, or uh, Facebook or whatever sure. to inform and care for your kid. Yeah, I think my boy, my little boy, is um, it, it will be a very good German teacher because he corrects me every day uh, when, I, <laughs> when I try to speak German. Well, he's, um, he's, yeah. he's quite, a, quite a guy, I must say. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, but yeah. if you look around, there are quite some guys and there are quite some girls around and I don't want them to be crushed sure. by lack of interest on the one hand and by overfeeding from the media. There has to be a balance. And I think um, one big thing is love, which is understanding. And which is also letting go and not pulling, mm. but offering whatever you can. Uh, this is this is what I'm talking about. Uh, sure. And I know it's it's a, a idealistic way of thinking. Uh I had some of these things. Uh, my, I was the beneficiary of some of, the, some of these things. My mother was all support. My father was all support in terms of letting me do what I wanted to do. Um, I don't think he understood uh, very much of what I felt and what I th was thinking. But he was watching and he was supporting, uh, letting me go wherever I wanted to go. But my mother was there always understanding and uh, supporting with a sentence here, another sentence there. It was not constant interfering or, or constant communication when I was there or when I was whether I was gone. It was I, I just knew it was there. And that was the most helpful thing I could think of. Mm. Yeah, I mean that that comes from uh, you know, a very very close uh, and intimate relationship, and it's it's one that I I'm, I'm I have forged with my older boy who lives in London. Um, you know, when we are when we communicate, when we are together, we just simply understand one another, mm -hmm. um, and I'm extremely pleased um, with that. And him and his younger brother, they also when they are together, it's fantastic the the, the care, the affection that exists. Um, and with my little boy here, I mean, he's just, as you've mentioned, he's a character. Um, he's uh, headstrong, to say the least, which clearly he gets from his mother. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a constant uh, battle to, in, on the one hand, um, help to be his guide. Um, and on the other hand, um, to watch him, as you say, um, make up his own mind. And yes. he's very happy to do so. <laughs> Support and respect. Yeah, Support absolutely. and respect. Yep. That's, that's uh, one could boil it down to those two uh, words. Mm. It's a tough, it's a tough uh, combination, but uh, that's the challenge, right? That's, uh, yeah. 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 Um, you, you also mentioned something called interpretation. Now, I've studied a bit of law uh, and I'm familiar with the challenge that, for example, judges have when they come to interpreting legislation. Um, and there is this the, there are these sort of two schools of thought. One is that the judge follows the law word for word. And the other school of thought is that the judge takes into account the spirit of the law when it comes to literature. Uh, it's a very different thing, being able to understand the spirit of what is meant um, and then understanding, as you also intimated before, the, wor the words within the text, because that, this does require a certain amount of knowledge of the culture of the original text. Now, yeah, sorry, please. Uh, no, uh, I'm, I, I was just... Uh thinking uh, it requires 
the knowledge of the culture, but it at the same time teaches you knowledge of the culture intuitively. If it is good literature, it will teach you what the feeling in that, how the how the interaction between uh, people uh, is in that particular culture, where it goes wrong, and where that particular culture um, suits you. That does not require any knowledge in that sense. No fixed knowledge of what the culture is that you're talking about. Um, because there, there is something like a human culture, which we all understand, and there is something like uh, ethnic or nationalistic culture, which uh, we are now learning more and more because people travel more and more. Okay, they usually don't travel f for cultural reasons, uh, and they never some never get in touch with the people that they're visiting, so to speak, or whose country they're visiting because uh, they stay in, in hotels and uh, hire a car and, and um, do not have any contact with people of that culture, which to me is, is wasted travel. Uh, wasted reading is if you cannot make anything out of this reading for yourself, if you don't understand yourself a little better when you read. I was just reading, um, or not ju just now, but a couple of uh, months ago, uh, books by an Austrian writer. The He's talking about a world I know about, but I have not lived in. It's always the outsider. It's the... Um, the uh, not the the, the elite uh, he is talking about. He's talking about the normal person. He's writing about um, simple life, and it touches you. And it 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 threw me when I first read uh, one of the books, um, and I've tried to read everything he's written now um, and I'm so overwhelmed by first of all the humanity of what he writes and the humanity of the language and the humanity of the topic and the humanity of the plot lines and simply the beautiful language and the ease with which that comes through to everybody who, who, it must come through for everybody who reads him. Um, that is possible. It's not very possible in all so-called high literature. Or, um, it sometimes even is missing in, high, in literature, the humanity. And you sometimes find it in, in factual books. Uh, I'm just now reading in English um, Michelle Obama. Um, I'm I'm floored. There's there's she's my sister. I understand every every word she says or she writes, and this is something that uh, makes reading and writing so fantastic. You do communicate. If you really, really are honest and are precise and do not shut out either intellect or emotion, then it's communication pure. And uh, the German, write, uh, German language writer I'm talking about is Robert Seethaler. An Austrian writer, um, I can only give him a big plug. Mm -hmm. uh, the name is familiar, so it must have been uh, said to me by either uh, Lena or one of my students, I'm sure. Um, yeah, it's funny. You, sorry. Um, uh, one book that I love dearly is uh, Ein ganzes Leben, A Whole mm -hmm. Life. 
And the first one I read was uh, De Trafficant, about uh, Vienna in during the during the early Nazi years, and it has um, Freud in it. Freud uh, is just about to emigrate, and the trafficant is a uh, an assistant to a tobacco shop. Uh, it's it's wonderful. Mm. And the storyline is familiar. Whether or not this has actually been turned into a, a, a miniseries. It has turned into film. Yeah. Okay. It has become a film. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you know, I mean, these are these are highlights. I, as I said, I read a lot. But if I were to pick one book in English and one uh, one writer in English and one writer in in German right now, it would be those two. And there, I'm very very uh, thick headed. Hmm. Uh, if I if there's a book I was told you have to read it and after five pages in front and five pages in the back I don't see any reason to read it I'll simply lay it aside mm. in the hope that something else comes up that's better <laughs> yeah I mean I, I tend to uh, delve into fiction more I, I really like my science fiction and fantasy because I sense the the escapism is is uh, true in that particular genre but I also sense the uh, sort of the underlying philosophy which uh, compares the ideals of the author with the the, the modern world uh, that we see around us um, but recently I, I, I read a book, um, not quite the same as uh, Michelle Obama's, I think Becoming is the, was, is the yes. title of her book, right? Yeah. Um, but rent one by uh, Kenya Hunt is called Girl. And she writes a series of essays um, and it's, it focuses a lot, not only on the Black Lives Matter movement, but also on her own personal experiences as a woman in the US and then in London. Um, it's and there are also other uh, contributors who also write different chapters mm -hmm. and in the same way that you said that Michelle Obama you you sensed you know she's your sister um, I, I completely uh, understood every word um, that was written in this book and it, it's mm -hmm. f a fascinating story as you said very um, eye-opening um, there are many elements of it which uh, remind me of life in the Armenian community as well um, even though it's a world removed uh, in many ways but again you know the similarities of humanity are there laid bare and it's a fascinating read so you know I think uh, you know her her approach opened up a new um, you know realm of reading possibilities for me if indeed they match that particular approach. So from what you say, Michelle Obama's book possibly does so. Um, I may have to uh, uh, take the plunge with that as well. She taught me to trust her mm. or that I could trust again. That's interesting, isn't it? And that's rare. It says a lot. Definitely says a lot. Um yeah. Okay. So these were the two authors that you would recommend. I mean, I know that you are, you know, your awareness of uh, the classics um, is deep, runs much deeper than my own knowledge. Uh, unfortunately, I. Um, it's fractional. I, it's fractional. It's fractional. Mm. You know, um, all our knowledge is fractional, and if you, for years and years and years, deal with um, mostly German language literature or then later when I was in England I started reading um, lots of English literature of the uh, 19th century because it was also literature by women which is strangely missing to a great degree in in the German context. Um, I do not when when I talk about the classics I have maybe read a little bit of the French classics. I've written, uh, read a little, very, very little of the Spanish language uh, classics, um, what we call classics, the uh, Romano-Greek uh, period. Um, yes, here and there a little bit. Um, 
it's all, it's really fractional. Yeah. And, but there's so much there, isn't there? Really? Yes. Yes. Um, and yeah. anybody who says uh, I I know a lot about or I know all about uh, is a liar. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, when you mentioned the sort of 19th century British uh, writers, you know, the one woman obviously that springs to mind is Mary Shelley. Um, are, are there others? I mean, okay, was was Jane Austen um, and the Bronte Jane Austen, sisters? The Bronte they... sisters. Uh, okay. The Bronte uh, sisters had a friend, uh, Elizabeth uh, uh, Taylor by name. Mm. I think Mary Taylor. Wonderful novel. Mm-hmm. Um, you had uh, Arnold Bennett. You had um, uh, from from Thackeray to uh, to uh, Smollett a little earlier. You had Dickens. You had uh, George Eliot. Um, there was. But, but these Virginia. were male writers, or or. or was was uh, Charles Dickens? Are you saying was a lot of his work was written by his wife? Was it or no, no, uh, no? He he was instrumental in bringing a lot of women's writing into to the public by okay. letting them serialize their novels. Mm-hmm. They, he did that with with uh, the Brontes with with uh, uh, a lot of a lot of uh, women writers of that period or a lot of writers. In general, uh, no. I was. Um, I threw in the couple of male writers mm. uh, because I didn't want to uh, give the uh, idea that only uh, women wrote during that period. But there were wonderful male writers as well. It was an interesting time. It was a time of uh, strife. It was the time of industrialization and the problems that came with it. And they're in all these novels, even though they're all love letters, uh, love love stories, or most of them are love stories. I love Elizabeth Gaskell. Uh, North and South, I think, is something that every every um, English uh, every English speaking person should have read, because it is. It shows the division between that is still in England, north and south, mm-hmm. and what it means and what it involves and what it still involves in terms of um, lack of good schooling, lack of um, social services and so on and so forth. When you go to the into the north of England, um, it's the country becomes colder. You could look at the towns if they are uh, if they have been developed in the last hundred and fifty years. They're cold. I it I it they sh- gave me a big shudder when I saw some some of them when I went to uh, do some research on uh, D. H. Lawrence and I went to Eastwood. Uh, I, I left it as quickly as I could. And this is something I felt was during that time was what they were fighting against, the good writers, against that coldness, against that uh, lack of understanding, lack of compassion and the overpowering uh, industry, the overpowering uh, Manchester capitalism and so on and so forth. That I found in 19th century literature uh, fascinating, and it's everywhere. It's even in in uh, if you read Jane Austen, uh, this is before the Industrial Revolution to to a large degree. But um, the problems that come with uh, industrialization are already there. Um, because the women could not have really a profession. They had to wait until they were being married or they could become uh, governesses. Um, And that element of society in the North was free to become 
are factory women. They didn't have a chance before, they didn't have a chance during to really educate themselves. Only the strongest were able to really live a full life and live a full life was only provided for the men. And this is what in a way fascinated and shocked me. Yeah, I mean, to, to, to quote a line from uh, Dickens, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. I think that's perhaps in some ways what you um, you allude to. The worst of times would be the reality um, that they faced, the best of times from perhaps uh, this mixture of uh, the genders from a, um, a literary perspective. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is fascinating, though, isn't it? Because, I mean, I, I see a huge boom in um, female and non-binary authors over the last 10 or 20 years. Um, the the book industry in many ways um, is, you know, setting, shall we say, the, the standard when it comes to inclusivity. Um, I'm celebrating that, yes. Yeah. Because it, it is really, uh, has really come up during the last 20 years. Um, when we were fighting for uh, a women's uh, canon, uh, the, the, uh, for, for teaching literature, there were no, if you taught German literature, where were the women? There were very few, very few were known. And we were fighting or we were, researching into where were the women they were there yes but why weren't they being published why were they uh, pushed to the side why were they only this the servants in some cases to their spouses and so on and so forth as you had in in all of art um, so the breakthrough has come during the last 20 years and I'm very very happy about it mm. Yeah, and it's it's also fascinating. I mean, people people always ah oh, yeah okay this quota stuff and so on. But I mean, when when I read um, a book by um, a, a female author or a non-binary author, you can see and sense and read the difference in analysis. There is um, a different voice there. There is a, a different perspective there. In some cases, a different pain. In other cases, a different mm -hmm. pleasure, yeah, and yeah. it's it's brilliant, you know. It it it's, it adds to the wealth of the reader's experience to be able to sometimes compare. But I mean, there's no need to make uh, every reading experience academic. It's purely a joy. To, right. to you know, otherwise we'd all just read the same writer, wouldn't we, over and over again if we just mm -hmm. wanted the same thing. Um, and and that wealth of diversity, it's it, it is. Fantastic. A, lo it's a lot really of broadening, yeah. yes. Yeah. It's broadening, and I think it's teaching society, or it should be teaching society, to broaden their view, their perspective, and to um, open up. Society has to open up. Yeah, and if it is to be done so through uh, the, the writing of, um, as traditionally, should we say, unconventional writers, um, then let it be so. When when I was in Leipzig at the book fair in 2019, there was a, a female author. She was giving a talk. I, unfortunately, I can't remember her name, uh, but she said that the world is lacking in empathy at the moment, and the best way to train your empathy is to read because you have to experience the book through the words and perspective of different people, essentially yeah. the writer and the characters. And, and I thought that was such a fantastic introduction to the world of reading for so many people. Yes, absolutely. Reading uh, doesn't just broaden the mind, it opens the world. It really opens the world for all of us. And this is why uh, I was touched when um, this young woman told me that her 10 or 11 year old child wanted to become an author and is practicing already hmm. and practicing not just writing, but also reading. 
And uh, that is fantastic. We should have more of those. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Karin, you know, I think that is probably a wonderful place to end this current discussion uh, because it's an extremely positive note. Um, and also because we've reached the one <laughs> the one hour mark. <laughs> Time flies with you, my word. Um, but there are so many other topics that remain open. And indeed, for us to you know revisit this one, um, I love talking about literature, especially I love talking about literature with people who know so much more about the topic than I do, uh, because I always feel as though I'm learning something from you, Karin, and that in itself um, is something that I greatly appreciate. Um, so, yeah. That goes both ways. <laughs> that absolutely goes both. Any discussion that doesn't have the element toward both sides is 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 uh, isn't a lecture, and we are not lecturing. We are talking. Yeah, that's true. Um, though I'm shortchanging you because I'm getting so much more out of it than you are. <laughs> but that's just how it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Karin, thank you very much. Um, and yeah, I'm sure we will speak again very soon. Um, and I'm looking forward to our next discussion. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm too. All the best. Thank you.